takes. So, welcome to the uh, fourth edition of uh, On Pace Podcast, and I'm here today with Christopher Meyer. Christopher, thanks for joining us today. So, Christopher, we got a chance to talk with uh, Paula, your mom, and um, it was interesting to hear her perspective and kind of her side of your journey thus far, which, you know, ideally for her from a mother's standpoint is full of sunshine and rainbows. Obviously, that's not the case for um, probably, she said, somewhere around your junior year of high school and then onward. But, you know, the key isn't how you start the journey. It's how you finish. And right now um, you're in ever since March, I believe, or perhaps April, you've kind of turned a corner toward recognizing what you're going through. And given what we're doing in September to promote the Rethink Addiction Run, just wanted to have you on today and share a little bit about, you know, what you've gone through and where your head is at and where was it at and and how you're feeling. So when did drugs and alcohol become a part of your, your life, Chris? Um, I'm going to say probably when I was like 14 or 15 years old. Uh, after transitioning from like a private school to a public school, sort of like, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I was kind of just sheltered being in a small class of like eight people and then going to a, a school with over, you know, I don't even know how many kids. I, I think I graduated with 400 something kids, you know, just right. meeting all the people and being in like just, uh, I don't, I don't know, not really like. Uh, focus school on on my my spirituality and my religion um you know I just kind of met you know joined in with the wrong crowd a little bit started experimenting with things um yeah did you did you feel like like you were doing something wrong or did you feel like it was it was fine it's what your buddies were doing and to just go along with it? Um, like, I feel like I knew it was wrong, but I, at first I, I felt like, you know, like I would stop before, you know, it would, it would have been something serious. Like by the time I'm 18, I'll just, you know, stop doing this so I can focus on college. And then, you know, come the time I'm 18, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I haven't stopped doing it yet. So by the time I'm 21, I'll stop doing it or whatever, you know, like I'll just, you know, maybe go to the bar and have a couple beers with my friends. But like, that, that wasn't how it was. You know, I just kind of kept going and going, doing everything, started doing harder and harder drugs, I guess, instead of like ending. And sure. like, I feel like I knew it was wrong, but after doing it for however long, like, my mindset sort of changed to like, oh, well, this isn't, you know, it's not like wrong, I guess. Like, you know, I started like warping my mindset into like, people just don't want me to feel good. That's why they, that's why they think it's wrong or something. Cause like, I'm feeling better than them or something. I don't know. But like, that's right. really the case, you know, I'm really doing damage or whatever. Like my brain's got until I'm 25 to develop. I'm just, you know, like actually messing, messing something up and, I'm doing something in life that's just really not realistically sustainable and it's making everything unmanageable and it has nothing but negative legal percussions 
or you know like even death as an outcome so yeah. there's nothing but negatives when as you progressed in high school and then you left that kind of family life um to be off on your own did things escalate at that point or was it already escalating while you were still living at home um it was already escalating while i was living at home i guess um like right before college it kind of really like hit the fan for a little bit like um i had gotten i don't even know what, what exactly happened again but i got caught somehow again after you know being caught up however many times in high school like this is in between right in between high school and college the summer before and i remember having an argument something about how like i wasn't ready to go off to college and i told my parents that i was going to go anyway so it was like right before i was supposed to go i ended up still going to college but um yeah no um things things definitely escalated in high school once like i, I don't know my car got hit on by the canines and I just kind of shrugged it off. You know, my mom didn't really seem like she wanted to believe it the first time, you know, like I had a decent excuse. It was a bad one. <laughs> but like, it was definitely a lie, but like, you know, like it kind of worked. Cause like the person's car was parked next to like, they've already, you know, been known to do drugs. So like I lied and said something along the lines of like, well, it must've hit on their car, you know, just been a fluke, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, no. Um, I think the next time our school had a random search or something, I'm pretty sure my locker got hit on then, and that would have been two for two. Right. For after sophomore year, for the random searches that I would have been there for. So, and yeah, your relationship with your mom and dad was it? Let's go back to when you were a sophomore, end of sophomore year before junior year. Was it solid? Was it standoffish? Was it combative? How? What was the trajectory of your family life? I mean, I feel like it was kind of, it was pretty decent. Like, um, when I started using and stuff, like, I kind of, I kind of was able to sort of separate the two lives pretty well mm. for, for the, for the beginning time being, you know? So, like, I don't really think my parents were even able to tell a difference until it had already been years of, Mm. you know, abuse or whatever with substances. Cause I, I I mean, I don't know. I did pretty good with hiding it, um, coming up with just lies like, yeah, I'm going to go hang out with my friend or whatever. And we were playing sports together. I was still doing my sports, still going to practices, still doing my homework and everything. So it wasn't like I wasn't getting something done or throwing up any red flags. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just instead of hanging out, we weren't just hanging out. I guess we were hanging out and doing drugs the whole time. Right. So, so when do you think, if you go back in time, that you became addicted to drugs? Um, I'm going to say probably... Um, in my junior year um and um i was doing that's when i like was really doing a lot of opiates i think that's the one that like actually got me like dependent on them you know like i was if i didn't have them i was sick 
Mm-hmm. Like, actually sick. So, like, I couldn't actually, like, perform like a normal human. I couldn't function, really, at all if I didn't have some sort of opiate. So, um, and at the time, I had, like, a decently large stockpile. So, I was able to, you know, circumvent that for the time being. But it kind of caught up to me when I, you know, ran out of money, ran out of drugs and everything. And, um that's when uh, I'd say it definitely, like, came to surface, you know, like, that it was really a, it, it was a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And did it scare you? Um, I mean, at the time, no, I was kind of, like, emotionless to it for the past, I don't even know how many years. I mean, maybe there'd be, like, glimpses in time where like I might have came more like too mentally and like been sort of like I I don't know like actually having emotions about it like and yeah no I might have been yeah I was scared but like you know using substances kind of like numbs that emotion or whatever I guess so like for the most part while I was in active addiction I wasn't really scared at all or whatever about being addicted. So you have this dualism life, the family life and the addict life, and then you go off to college. Did things go crazy or did they just kind of keep at a certain trajectory? Um, at the beginning, like, um, things were, things were all right. Like, um, I, I actually had like a little bit of I had a period of sobriety further along in college. And then I like teetered back towards substance using and stuff, uh, pretty heavily. But, um, at the beginning it was, it was all right. And, um, I'd say after I started meeting like local people that were actually from like my college town and stuff like that, um, that's when, you know, like, I started actually getting involved in harder drugs, um, like heroin and meth and stuff like that. And that's when, you know, like I kind of just completely ditched my family life. And then it was just my addict life that I lived. So chronologically, high school was marijuana, opiates, drinking. Yeah, ecstasy, um, stuff like that, yeah. And then college, college became like you so you had a period of sobriety. How long did that last? Well, at first, um, the opiate at first in college it switched from like I had started back on the opiates after a little bit after about like a year of college. Then I started back using opiates, and then that turned into heroin. Wow. And um, from there, I ended up getting sober further down the line from there, and then um. And then uh, I started back up with uh, meth and then started doing more heroin again. Wow. And, like, you're 22 years old at this point, or 21 years old. Um, That would be uh, when I started back up with meth and heroin, I was 23, and I think I was probably sober, I don't know, like, right around when I was, like, 21, 22, I was sober for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... Your life, as you saw it, was all about the drug, and where did it take you? 
Did it take you from house to house, apartment to apartment, city to city? Did you have any contact with your, your family or was it just all about the drug life? Um, I mean, at first, well, my girlfriend's parents, you know, they're really nice people and they're really supportive of her and stuff. And like, you know, they're really nice people, but, um, they're not, uh, very good at recognizing, you know, substance abuse and stuff like that. So they, they got to stay there pretty much whenever, but there were periods of times where they get like really mad at us, whatever. And then we were kicked out or whatever. And then it'd be house to house. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, in our free time, all we were doing was going from house to house pretty much doing nothing but like getting high or helping other people, you know, get high. Um, and I don't know, I didn't really think much of it. You know, that's just like what it was at the time. I wasn't really thinking about like, you know, my future and everything. I wasn't thinking about like all the, all the things I'd thrown out, like how I dropped out of college and stuff, you know, I, I just, in the moment, I, I wasn't really thinking about any of that. So, at this point, you're 23, 24, and your girlfriend, her name is? Megan. Megan. And you guys are living this dual life. You guys are in this together, right? Is what I hear you saying? Yeah. And now you're 26? Yep. Tell me about 23 to 26 and maybe at this point in the in the podcast we transition into the recognition and the desire to break the trend um because i'm sure from 23 to 26 it probably didn't get any better yeah no um from 23 to 26 um it just like you know like we had just started using uh, math like kind of more casually and then started becoming a habitual thing uh, there's a lot of it where we we're from so uh, you know like the crowd that we we're involved in everyone was doing it all the time so it just became like a regular thing every day all day um, and um, with heroin um, it was kind of like an on and off thing um, one of our connects that went to jail for a while so we weren't able to get anything for a minute and you know it's fine like just went through the withdrawals basically cold turkey after that but uh after he got back out of jail started back up and then we ended up just getting a bunch of different connections all over the state just you know in case like something ever happened at that point it was pretty much like a lost cause and um you know like in the last six months or so of it um we transitioned from just like snorting shit to um, injecting. And um, I guess that's where things kind of actually started to like, you know, get out of hand. Like we weren't able to make like the right mental choices. We weren't able to support our habits as easily. So we were needing to, you know, do more criminal activity and stuff like just get involved in a whole bunch of nonsense that just pretty much led down a really bad path of destruction, doing nothing but stealing from stores, selling drugs to people, um, you know, just all doing the wrong things. Basically, you know, it's it was just a matter of time before we got arrested. And, uh, yeah, we ended up um, 
getting arrested in uh, a Target parking lot. And then um, my girlfriend had uh, gotten bailed at it. Well, we and we got possession charges, and she got an OWI because she was in the pat or the driver's seat. We weren't moving, but whatever. Um, so the allegations were she's still in court for that. Um, the allegations are uh, that we um, had a possession of a controlled substance and that she was operating while intoxicated. And um, yeah, we got arrested. She got bonded out and then she ended up bonding me out. And then um, I think about a week, maybe a week and a half after that, um, she overdosed and um, I called 911 and after calling 911, the, um, the operator sent a cop and uh cop had um, basically forced me to go to the hospital too. And then at the hospital, I got arrested for um, possession of drug paraphernalia for, the, for having a hypodermic needle in my vicinity. And the hypodermic needle was used to administer Narcan to her. So... I don't know. It was kind of a bullshit scenario, but to each their own, you know, like mm-hmm. I still had it coming, you know, like we were out on bond. We weren't even supposed to be doing that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I hadn't been put on pretrial supervision. So like when I had gotten bonded out, there wasn't any obligation for me to stay sober really. Um, and when I seen the judge the next day, he, uh, had, uh, revocated my bond and changed it to $3,500 cash only because I hadn't made it to my drug assessment on time that he had court ordered, um, on my previous release or whatever. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Sat in jail for a few weeks and that's when I had time to actually like sober up and actually think about shit in my life because that was like the first time in the last years I guess that I really actually was able to get sober since I was forced to get sober I guess you know how crazy was the jail life and how hard was the sobering process uh jail life um I don't know the first like 10 days really sucked because I was withdrawing really bad um I knew pretty much everyone in my pod so um, half the people in my pod, at least, were my friends that I I wow. met out of jail. So, like, I don't know. It was just jail. The food sucked. Um, it was really boring. I walked a lot of laps. I didn't want to s- sit there forever. I knew I was going to get out kind of soonish. Um, and that's when I was, like, thinking about things because I had $60 on my books, and I knew if I had money when I got out of jail, I was just going to go get high right away. So I was thinking about things because um, I had a I had a bond review hearing coming up, and I knew if uh, my lawyer actually was right, she thought she was going to be able to get me out. I knew if I got out then, and that like five days later, that I was more than likely because I had already like told my mom like, yeah, when I get out of jail, I'm just going to go live at the mission, and uh, you know I'll just find a job down here. Like, don't worry about like taking me to rehab or anything. I don't need that if. Uh, my lawyer actually gets me out here because she already told me my plea deal is just going to be a suspended sentence. Um, and maybe even a deferred judgment or deferred prosecution. And, um, yeah, no, um, I thought about that and, uh, 
you know, like, I just kind of reflected back on my life, like, I was in college, you know, like, uh, you know, I have a friend that's got, like, a salary job, he was my programming partner in college, he's doing really successful, you know, he's thinking about buying a house, here I am thinking about copping a 30 bag when I get out of jail, <laughs> like, and uh, living at a homeless shelter that has a free meal a day if uh, you're sober, <laughs> so I'm thinking about living at a homeless shelter that you need to be sober to live at after I'm going to go get high, you know, like it was just kind of like insane. It was just stupid, ludicrous, you know, <laughs> just like it wasn't going to work. So like I called my mom and told her like, yeah, I'll just go to the, I'll just go to the rehab if you bound me out today. And um, I guess that's where like the, like real transition actually started at the beginning of jail. I was just thinking about, getting out of jail and getting high but at the end I was actually thinking like all right well let's think about some shit let's give rehab a try so I can actually think about my life and um see if I can get things back on track and uh you know I'll see what I get out of 30 days at rehab and you know I'll go from there we'll just see how it goes okay so your story thus far is wild so that you were giving it a 30-day trial, and that was 75 days ago. Yep. Where are you right now? Um, no, um, I'm in Madison at Sober Living. Um, Same place that you were at 75 days ago? Uh, no. 75 days ago, I was in jail. Yeah. Okay. So when you got out of jail, you came to sober living where you when are I got out, When I got out of jail, I went to rehab for 30 days. And then after I got out of rehab, I had already gotten into sober living in Madison. So from rehab in Illinois, I went to Madison to my sober living. Tell us about sober living. Um, sober living is not bad. Um, basically, like tell you what sober living is. Um, so like I'm in a house, um, that's just pretty much full of guys. Um, some people might have like, uh, a past addiction problem. Some people have other problems with just like finances and stuff like that. And basically, um, we get drug tested twice a week, once on Sunday and once on Wednesday in the morning and, um, rents, rents pretty cheap and everything's included. Um, and, um, yeah, basically there's just like options available for like, um, like, um, like they help you get, uh, signed in with like Matt, which is like medically assisted treatment, um, or like, uh, like a sort of like a group or a class type thing. Like, um, I'm doing mine at Tolarian, but I know that, uh, Jesse Crawford has some. Um, I haven't, I haven't been there, but uh, I know that they have some classes available like relapse prevention and stuff like that. Um, so I'm doing relapse prevention and yeah, basically, um, all sober living is, is like just a place for you to live that, um, is trying to actually give, make you be somewhat accountable about your sobriety, you know, like way you tell your story 
certainly makes me think that you're accountable to your story. That's what I want you to say, but I mean, the, the question is, what do you think? What do you mean accountable to my story, exactly? You're not hiding from anything here in what you're saying today. You're, you're very aware of what went down and um, you're recognizing the destructive path and you're on the road to recovery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, like I, I understand like everything I did was like a lot of bad decision-making for a really long time. Um, but you know, I never really had that moment of clarity. You know, I never had a clear mind to really think about things. All I had opportunity for in my, um, addictive life, I guess, was to realize that I was starting to get sick and I need, and I knew that if I were going to get high, you know, like I wouldn't feel sick anymore. So like, why not just go get 20, 30 bucks to get a bag? But after actually going through the withdrawals, like, you know, like it was really shitty, but, um, yeah, like, you know, like there's so much more to life. Like, you know, like I'm, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, like I'm supposed to be actually able to have fun, like going to the park or something, yeah. or disc golfing. You know, I, I stopped doing all the things that I love doing in the past. Like I don't play sport. I didn't play sports anymore. I still haven't done that yet again. You know, I've only been sober for like two and a half months, but you know, like I'm actually starting to get like my normalness back, I guess, like my life that I had, um, like, I want to go disc golfing and stuff again. Like, a few months ago, all I want to do is go to the store and make some money to go get a bag of dope. And that was it. There was nothing else to it, really. It was just every day. Do you think about getting high right now? Uh, I mean, right now, I'm thinking about the past just because of the questions or whatever. I'm not thinking about going to get high right now, no. Sometimes I do have cravings. Um, right now I'm just kind of, like, looking back at, like, what I used to do, like, just driving to the store or whatever, stealing a whole bunch of shit, returning it or selling it to a pawn store. That I'm just thinking about what I had been doing or whatever based on right. the questions that you asked me. So let's pull this thing full circle to September 7th you ran cross country in high school you're not running the 5k at the rethink addiction it's probably a bit of an undertaking but uh, that's how we got pulled in so on pace is a good partner with this woman Gloria West who's the race director for this event Gloria lost her son at 31 years old to an OD and he died and she started this race uh, I don't know how many years ago, um, in his memory, her heart hurts still for him. And over the course of a few podcasts, I don't know if you've checked any of them out. We've had Tate Whitlinger, who is from Appleton area and battled drug and alcohol abuse for 25 years of his 42 year old life. And he's been sober now for a number of years and started an organization called Grateful Runners. And then last week, we or two weeks ago, we met with Juan, who also lived a destructive life 
and he also is on a road to recovery and took the Grateful Runners model, which is finding running and going back to these treatment centers and saying a prayer and being community-based and healthy, active lifestyle to these runners in Sheboygan, where he's from. So there's a chapter in Appleton, chapter in Sheboygan. There's another one in Las Vegas. And Juan is pacing for us, and Tate is pacing for us. And the last week, of course, we talked with your mom. So this Rethink Addiction Run is powerful stuff. This isn't about going out there and seeing if we can crack six-minute and 15-second miles. It's about this concept of a kid who came from a loving family and probably what most people would say is a normal life, a mom and a dad, happily married, you have two siblings from what I think I understand, you know, this, this shouldn't have happened, but it happened. It's life. Sometimes it doesn't go perfect. And I think what you'll find at this rethink addiction run on September 7th is community and people that will rally and support. And as you're in this right now, you're in your own head and you'll get your cravings. Hopefully you'll find the community that there to recognize what you're going through that can be there to support you to, as, a, as an outlet verbally, mentally, just to, to listen as you go through this recovery process so that you don't slip back. And, um, you know, your story is wild. It's wild. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, I think about, you know, I hear it. And I, I put myself back to where I was at 26 years old and 23 years old. Right. And I think we, I think probably people who are listening to this do the same thing. That's some, that's some wild stuff, but the past is the past and the future is the future. It's not how we start the race. It's how we finish the race. And, um, so I think your raw and very real story is impactful. I'm thankful that you shared it with, um, with us today. We look forward to seeing you at Rethink Addiction to walk those uh, those 5K. And in, in the future, should you be inspired, I can't wait for you to meet Tate and Juan and really a lot of other people that day that they'll probably introduce you to. You are not alone. There are others who have gone through probably worse than you have that will be there and have recovered. And that's the community you want to surround yourself with, Chris. Right. Yeah. So anyway, thanks, brother. I appreciate your time and all your honesty and, and your story. Yep. Thank you for the opportunity to share it.